We learned in the previous couple of Mishnayas that if a man was fully married to a woman and then he died, just like he was obligated to support her before he died, she continues to receive that support from the inheritance and property which he leaves behind. However, if she was only an Arusa, meaning she had received Kedushim but they hadn't yet reached the stage of Nisuin, so they weren't fully married, so whilst her husband was still alive, he wasn't yet obligated to support her. She lived in her father's house. So too, once he has died, she is not supported by the inheritance which he left behind. Now, according to Rishimon in the previous Mishnah, only a woman who is still being supported by the inheritance, only she can sell her husband's property which he left behind without doing it with the permission and evaluation of Bastin. The reason is that it is assumed that her husband would not have wanted her to have to degrade herself in Bastin, to have to appear in court every time she needs more food. So she sells more property to support herself, and every time she takes any part of the kasuba, and therefore she does not need to go to Bastin in order, in order to sell it. However, if she has no rights to her food, then she won't need to go to Bastin multiple times. She'll just go there once, or maybe twice, but in general once, and take her entire kasuba, with the permission of Bastin, and therefore, in such a case where she is not entitled to being supported, but only to the Kasuba, so she would need to sell it only in Bastin and with Bastin's permission. So the beginning of this mission is according to Rishimon, if she sold her Kasuba or part of her Kasuba, if she gave somebody her Kasuba, as a mashkoin, a deposit, that that person can keep it if she doesn't manage to pay back, or part of the kasuba, if she gave the kasuba or part of the kasuba to somebody else as a gift, let's say. According to Rishimon, even a woman who was entitled to be supported by the inheritance, that's only as so long as her kasuba is full. But as soon as she has taken her kasuba or even part of her kasuba, she's no longer got the right to be supported by the inheritors. So now she's considered to be like a woman who was widowed from Erosin, who only has right to the kasuba but not to being supported. And as such, like Tim Kasashin, she cannot sell the rest of her husband's property except with the permission and evaluation of the basin in order to make sure that she does not sell it for less than it is worth. She can sell the property even four or five times without the permission of Bastin. Because according to the Chachomim, as long as she still has part of her Kasuba remaining, she is supported by the inheritance. Only once she has received the entire Kasuba, do they not need to support her any longer. Now in such a case where she is selling it multiple times, selling her husband's property, she can continue selling it for support without a Bastin, and she should write in the document which they're using to record the sale, she should write that Limzonis Mocharti, I sold it for the sake of food, for the sake of supporting myself. And in situations where she sells it for the sake of taking part of her kasuba, then she should write that. And this is in order that people don't think that she's constantly selling it for food. They realize that sometimes she's selling the property in order to take part of her kasuba. Because otherwise they'll think that she is very greedy, she's always looking for more food, and it would make it far hard, harder for her to be able to find a new husband. So the missionary is advising that she record each time for what she was selling her husband's property. Names of the Mishnah, since the reason why a woman does not require the basin in order to sell the property is because the assumption is that the husband cares for her and that the husband would not want her to be degraded by having to appear at court. That's all when it comes to a widow. However, Grushai divorcee, she can only sell it in Bastin because we no longer have that assumption. Mr. Dalad, in a regular sale from 
one man to another. There is a halacha known as a no'ah. A no'ah refers to either overpricing or underpricing. And the regular halacha is that if a item is sold for more than a sixth, more or less than its value, so it's overpriced or underpriced by more than a sixth, in that situation, the sale would be invalid. Now that applies to metaltalin, to movable items. However, when it comes to karka, to land and property which is fixed to the ground, those halachas of Ainoa do not apply. According to some, Ainoa does apply, but only if it's underpriced or overpriced double or half. So it's a much larger difference in price, but we're going to understand for the moment that Ainoa does not apply to land at all. And so the Mishnah says, Almona, a widow, whose kasuba was 200 zuz, and she comes to sell her husband's land in order to get the money for her kasuba, and she sold a field which was worth 100 zuz, she sold it for 200 zuz. So in this case, she got a very good deal, but for her, herself, it won't really make a difference, because now she's received her 200 zuz, and that's it. It's true that it came from a field which was 100 zuz, but at the end of the day, she has now received her 200 zuz. So the inheritors of her husband would not need to pay her anymore. What happens if she sold a field worth 200 zuz for only 100 zuz? So the sale is valid, because there's no problem of, problem of Ainoa, since it's not a movable item. However, she has only received 100 zuz. So as the Mishnah in this case as well, in this Kabla Kusubasa, she has received her entire Kusuba since she used up 200 zuz from the inheritance for the sake of her Kusuba. So she hasn't got the right to cause the her husband's inheritors to lose out anymore. And therefore, in these two cases, she would have received her entire kasuba and not be able to receive any more. If her kasuba was worth 100 zuz, so he married her once she was already an almona, a widow, so she's only entitled to 100 zuz. And she sold a field which was worth 101 zuz. Zuz and dinar is the same thing. So she sold a field which was worth 101 zuz for 100 zuz. Michra Botel, her sale is invalid. And a Filuhi Ramirez, even if she says, I'll return the extra zuz, the extra dinar to the inheritors. Michra Botel, her sale is invalid because since she sold more than she was able to, and it was all one sale, she hasn't got rights to a field worth 101 zuz, only to a field worth 100 zuz. And since this is all part of one sale, so she hasn't really got right to sell that field and therefore it would not be a valid sale. Really, in a general case like this, her sale would be valid. Since the extra zuz is not considered to be a significant amount in itself, that extra amount by itself is certainly not considered to be a field, only because it's connected to the rest. So in that case, the sale would be valid, and of course she would need to compensate the inheritors with the extra dinar, unless, says Rabbi Shimon, the extra amount was not just a dinar, but it was enough that even by itself would be considered to be a field. Unless the extra amount is made up of nine kav, that's an area, and according to Mishim Gamliel, that is considered to be the minimum size to be considered a field. 
So if the extra amount by itself is considered to be a field, so then it's considered to be significant and therefore the sale is invalid. Uvagina, or if she sold a garden where instead of grain growing there, vegetables were growing there. In order, in order to be considered to be a garden, it can be much smaller. Even if it's the area of half a kav, according to based Reva, the area of quarter of a kav, if that was the size of the extra amount which she sold, then the sale is invalid because it's considered to be a significant amount, such that we view the entire sale as having been done without her right to be to do so, and therefore the sale would be invalid. Alright, and ends off the Mishnah, If a woman's kusuba was 400 zuz, and she sold one field to somebody for 100 zuz, and to another person for 100 zuz, the field was worth 100 zuz, she received 100 zuz for it, fantastic. So although the Mishnah only mentions it twice, she actually sold three fields worth 100 zuz each, for a hundred zuz. So now there is only one hundred zuz left of the kasuba. So in this case, if she sells the last field for a hundred zuz, but the field is worth one hundred and one zuz, so now it's like the previous case. The last field which she sold would be invalid, because remaining in her kasuba is less than a hundred and one zuz. We're going according to the opinion of the Tanakama. However, the Shalkulon, the sales, the other fields, Mechan Kayom, their sale would be valid, because all of these four sales are certainly considered to be separate sales, and the first three were considered to be valid. Mishnah here, there are certain situations where somebody dies and he leaves behind an inheritance, and the Beithin have the right to sell his property for the sake of different things. For example, if he owed money to somebody, including his wife for her kasuba, in certain situations, instead of the wife herself selling the property, the Beithin would do so. And when Beithin sell the property, they are considered to be the messengers of the inheritors. Now, as well as this, there are actually two different types of sales done by Beithin. In some scenarios, Beistin would sell by evaluating the land, and they would make an Igeres Bikires, which was a announcement, literally Igeres means a letter, but they would publicize the evaluation of the land and the sale in order that other people come and the other people measure it as well, and that they, they reach an exact evaluation of that land. In other situations, depending either on the custom of the location, or depending on what exactly the Beistin is selling the land, and four, they would not always publicize the sale. This Mishnah begins to discuss a case where the sale is not publicized, and the Mishnah tells us that Shumatayonin, the evaluation of judges of a Beistin, Shepachasushasus, which were undervaluated and underpriced by a sixth, or if they added on to its estimated value by a sixth. Says the Mishnah Micham Botel, their sale is invalid. Now we're talking about land, the halachas of Ainoah do not apply to land. So why is this sale invalid? The reason is that the Beistin are not the actual owners of the field. They are acting as the messengers of the inheritors. Now anybody else other than the Beistin who would be a messenger of the inheritors, if they evaluate the field wrongly, then the sale is invalid. They're only a messenger to sell the field if they sell it for the correct price. But otherwise, they're not considered, halakhically speaking, to be the messenger, and the sale would be invalid, even if it's a tiny amount of mispricing. When it comes to the Beistin, because the ability and the power and the jurisdiction of the Beistin is greater than a regular person, so for them, if it's a small amount, then the sale is valid, only if it's mispriced by at least a sixth, 
would the sale be invalid? Even in that case, the sale would be valid. In the cane, if so, if you want to say that by mispricing it by a sixth, it's already invalid. How is the power and the ability of the basin that great? So fine, for a regular person, if it's a tiny amount, then it's invalid, and for the basin, it's a sixth. But it's not such a big difference. So according to Mishim Gamliel, only if it's mispriced by at least double or half, only then would it be considered to be a big difference, such that even the Bastin's sale would be invalid. Now this whole Mishnah so far has been discussing a sale of Bastin, which did not include an Igeres Bikaires. It was not publicized. But if the Bastin did do an Igeres Bikaires, and now lots of people came, and it was evaluated to a much more precise degree, even if it emerges that they sold a field worth 100 zuz for 200 zuz, or a field worth 200 zuz for 100 zuz, even in that case the sale would be valid, because in a case where the sale is publicized, in that case there is never any law of a na'ah, because supposedly the evaluation was done in the best way possible. A girl who is under the age of bas mitzvah, for as long as her father is still alive, her father can marry her off, and that marriage would be valid mid However, if her father had already died, and her mother and brothers marry her off, then that, valid, that, that marriage is only valid mid And in such a mid marriage, the halacha is that at any point until she reaches the age of bas mitzvah, she is able to perform miyun. Miyun is when she refuses to continue with the marriage, and unlike a get, which ends a marriage from now onwards, Miyun uproots the entire marriage as if it was never there. It's considered as if retroactively they were never married. So the says, Hamor a woman who performed Miyun, of course, while she was still not yet bas mitzvah, Hashaniya, a secondary erva, an erva is a woman who, to whom one is related, and therefore forbidden to marry or have relations with, and a Shania refers to a Midrabonon erva. For example, Midraisa is forbidden for one to have relations with one's mother, but it will be permitted to marry one's grandmother. However, Midrabonon, they added on people who are less closely related. So Midrabonon, one's grandmother was, would be considered to be an erva. So if somebody did marry a Midrabonon erva, the Islandess, or if somebody married an Islandess who is a woman who is not able to have children. Now we're talking about a situation where he did not know this information, and because of that, the Kedushin is considered to be a Mekach Toos. He acquired the woman based on misinformation. Had he known that she was an Islandess, he may very well have not married her. So in these three cases, Elohim Kasuba, they would not be entitled to a kasuba. The woman who performed Mion wouldn't because retroactively they were never married. So she never received the rights to a kasuba. The Midrabonon Erva wouldn't receive it as a punishment for her having entered into this forbidden marriage. And the islandess wouldn't receive the kasuba either because she also was not considered to be married. Because the entire Kedushin was a Mekach Toos. Now, whilst these people were married, as we learnt at length throughout the Masechta, the husband has the rights to the payrays, to the products, of her fields and her property. Now when it comes to the Memoenes and the Islandess, they were never actually halachically speaking married. So I would think that when they f- they find that out, so the husband should have to pay back for all of the payrolls which he ate. However, the Mishnah says, Velo payrolls, she does not receive compensation for all of those payrolls. When it comes to the Islandess, it's because she did live with him and we assume that she gave up on her rights to the pay race. That even though, halakhically speaking, it wasn't a marriage, she was still happy to be in a state of marriage. 
and she relinquished those pay raises to the husband. She gave up the ownership of the pay raises for the sake of her husband, and when it comes to the woman who performed Mion, the Rabbanon decreed that he would be able to have the pay raise, because otherwise people would be afraid of marrying a girl under the age of Bas Mitzvah, whose father had died, because they'd be afraid that they'd come to a situation where they have to pay back all of the pay raise. So in order to encourage them to marry these orphaned girls, they would not need to pay back the pay raise, they wouldn't receive compensation for the support. For example, if the woman borrowed money, let's say her husband went abroad and she borrowed some money in order to support herself. So in a regular case, if he then divorces her, he would be obligated to give her back that money because he was always the one who was obligated to support her. She should not have to pay back the money which she borrowed for the sake of supporting herself. So the Mu'enes would not receive the compensation because she was never actually married. The Shania wouldn't receive it because since it's forbidden to marry her Midrabonon, he was never actually obligated to support her. This was not a legal marriage. And again, the islandist was also never married. And as well as this, they would not receive compensation for worn-out property. If her husband used her property a lot and he took the pay rice, and as a result her property was worn out more, and they're not really fit for use, in general he would have to compensate her for that. However, in this case he does not need to compensate her, either because they were never married, like in the case of the Mumo'enes and the Islanes, or in the case of the Shania, the woman who was married in a forbidden way, Mijabonon, so as a punishment for her, she would not receive compensation for her property, which is not any more fit for such use. Now the Mishnah adds that all that we've said until now regarding the Islanes is where he didn't know that she was an Islanes, but if from the beginning he married her knowing that she was an Islanes, yes, then she does have the rights to the Kasuba and to everything else on the list, because there the marriage is fully valid. It is certainly not considered to be a Mekah Ta'us. Now the Mishnah compares the halachs which we said regarding the Shania, the woman who was forbidden to marry Midrabonon, where we punish her, to the following cases, a widow who was married to a Kohen Godol, a woman who was divorced or received Chalitza, who then married a Kohen Hedyat, a regular Kohen, Mamzeris in Sinali Israel. If a Mamzeris was a woman who was born as a result of illegal relations, and a Sinai is a woman descended from the nation of Givonim, who are also forbidden Midaraisa to marry into the Jewish people, Basisol, a Nosin, and a Mamzer, or if a Jewish woman married a Nosin or a Mamzer, in all of these cases, Yeshlem Kasuba. They do have the rights to the Kasuba and to everything else on the list, even though in this case it's forbidden Midaraisa. So why would the law be more lenient? If we're punishing the woman who got married forbidden Midrabonon, so all the more so, this woman who got married in a forbidden way Midraisal should be punished. The answer is an important concept known as Divri Soifrim Tzrichim Chizuk. Laws which are Midrabonon require more strengthening in order that people do not violate them, whereas Divri Torah Eon Tzrichim Chizuk, laws which are Midraisal need less strengthening since people are less likely to violate them. And because of that, you can have this situation where we punish a woman who violated a prohibition mid more than if she had done so mid